Turn, if you would, to Psalm 23. We had a wonderful Thanksgiving. For the first time in a long time, all the family was here. I have two daughters that are nurses, one son-in-law that is a fireman, and one daughter-in-law who's an EMT. So the odds of us all getting together are pretty slim, but we did all get together. So we had eight children, Teresa and I, four son-in-laws, one daughter-in-law, one son-in-law-to-be, and two grandkids. So I think that was 18. So that's the good news. The bad news is that as of yesterday, 13 of those 18 had the stomach bug. <laughs> so we had a great time yesterday. I drove one of my daughters and her husband to the airport to go see his family. And then an hour later, I drove back to the airport to bring them back home because they'd gotten sick while on the way to the airport. So fun times around my house, but it was good. We had a good time. We actually had both grandsons sitting at the table at the same time, and that was astounding. Last week we did Psalm 19, but we didn't quite make it through. I debated whether to actually finish it or not. Uh, let me just read the last half of it. You remember that Psalm 19 dealt with how we understand who God is. It begins with a discussion of nature and what we learn about God through the created order, and then it goes into a discussion of the Word of God and how we learn about God through His revelation to us. And we made it down to, I don't know where we made it, um, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, and it talks about that. And verse 10, we spent a lot of time on, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. The fact that God's word is supposed to be more valuable to us than any gold or any fine thing to eat. It is supposed to be that which we seek. So just finish reading the rest of it. Uh, moreover, by them, the verse 11, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Since I have access to your word, I know that I need your word to help me from falling into sin. I know that I have a propensity to want to fall into sin. And David is asking God to help him from doing that. And the final verse, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Flipping over to Psalm 23, which is today's lesson. This is probably one, if not the most famous passages in the Bible. And it's a fabulous psalm. First off, because there isn't any God save me, it is a recognition that God is going to save me. He doesn't have to plead with God. He doesn't have to ask God. He just knows God is going to take care of him. There is nothing bad in this psalm. Whew. We are off the hook. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's start right there. Remember, this is poetry. He is using human imagery to explain divine truth. But the fact that God is our shepherd is an image that is used throughout the Bible. Jesus, over in John chapter 10, is going to tell us, I am the good shepherd. I am the one that lays down my life for the sheep. So he begins, David, by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Remember, David was a shepherd. In fact, since we don't know where in his life he wrote this, it is quite possible he wrote this when he was a shepherd. But either way, he was a shepherd and he understood what shepherding meant. He was intimately connected with that. I, in the past, have tried to figure out, okay, my job was, what, programming computers. And I just couldn't figure out an analogy between programming computers and the Lord is my, I don't know, it just doesn't work. But David, being a shepherd, understood what it meant to take care of sheep. So let's start with the bad side of this analogy. The bad side of the analogy is you're a sheep. I'm a sheep. David's a sheep. Now, I experientially know very little about sheep. When I was a youngster, a youngster, my grandmother would rent out her land and allow people to put different animals on there. And at one time she had sheep on there and we would go out and try to ride the sheep. <laughs> sheep don't like to be ridden. We never successfully rode a sheep. But sheep are not the brightest animals. I mean, they're just not. They're, do I say dumb? Now, if I was going to make an analogy of you and me, dumb would not be where I'd want to be. I'd want some more elevated position, you know, the dog that wins the dog show on Thanksgiving. At least something that has some semblance of smart. But that's not the imagery that God uses for us. He uses the imagery of sheep because sheep without a shepherd are doomed. You know, you go to certain parts of the U.S. today and you can see wild horses. You know, they just live out there. They round them up. They try to get rid of them. Horses can survive as a herd on their own. I personally have never seen wild sheep. Now, I've seen, you know, mountain goats and stuff like that. They live out there. I know that. But little lamb, I, 
They need a shepherd in order to flourish. And David, knowing what it meant to be a shepherd, begins by saying, we are sheep, but we have a shepherd, and that shepherd is God. We have the shepherd. David is not saying here, I was a shepherd and I was pretty good. Let me shepherd you. Although he had the job of shepherding the nation of Israel. He did well sometimes. He did really bad sometimes. It's not David, the shepherd, that is being used as the picture of the perfect shepherd. It is the acknowledgement that God himself is our shepherd. So what does that mean to us? Let's keep reading. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, we see the word want, and sometimes we think that means, oh, I get everything that I want. No. To receive what we need is to not be in want. I have everything that I need in order to do what the shepherd, God, wants me to do. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But there's a lot of things that I want. Let me give you a, just a simple principle. If you don't have it, God probably doesn't think you need it. Just saying. He may give it to you sometime. That's cool. God gives us far in abundance of what we actually need. But if you don't have it, it's probably not a requirement to do what God would have you to do. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is nothing that I need for human flourishing that I do not right now possess. We're back with Paul over in the New Testament where he says, I have learned to be content when I have a whole lot and when I have not much at all. I've learned in whatever situation that I am in to be content because God is my shepherd and I do not want for what I need for human flourishing. Now, I know what you're thinking, though. But there's lots of things I want. Paul who's writing this, I've learned to be content, spent a goodly amount of time in prison, a goodly amount of time getting beaten, a goodly amount of time getting stoned, and he had learned to be content because everything that he needed to do the will of God was present always. I mean, I've told you the story in here before. I just think it's hilarious. You know, Rome arrest Paul. Paul goes to Rome. They lock him up with a Praetorian guard, 
handcuffed to him so he doesn't get away. Poor guard. <laughs> Can you imagine being handcuffed to Paul for four hours and being a pagan? You're doomed. <laughs> but we would bemoan the fact that I'm locked up with a Praetorian guard. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything that I need to do the will of God, I have. What does he have? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I see the image of green pasture, and I think, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that picturesque? You want to go out into the green pasture and put down your mat and just lay there for a while. But if you're a sheep, remember, we're the sheep. If you're a sheep, a green pasture means that you can be nourished. The green pasture is the source of your nourishment. If the shepherd leads you to the green pasture, it's because he knows that you need that to flourish as a sheep. So here's the question. What do you and I need in order to flourish as a human being? What did we talk about? In Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true. More to be desired than gold are they. What do we need to be nourished spiritually? We need the Word of God. He leads us to green pastures. He leads us to His Word where we can flourish as sheep, as followers of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want everything that I need. What do I need? I need nourishment. I need something to digest. And the question is, what is that? Well, it's food. We'll talk about that. But, but, what it really is, is nourishing, chewing on, meditating on, consuming the Word of God. Huh. Remember Psalm 19. You are to delight in it. Like the sheep in the green field who has all the nourishment that they need. You know, I'm sure, because I've seen it, there's sheep out there, you know, in the panhandle of Texas, where there's a little bit of grass here and a little bit of grass there, and they're wandering, wondering where the next piece of grass is going to be. You've seen those places, right? Just get to Amarillo and keep driving, and you'll see them. But that's not what this passage is talking about. God hasn't just dribbled out some nourishment. Oh, here's a little bit. Call me in a year or two, and I'll give you something else. He's led us to the perfect source of nourishment, which is the Word of God. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. Hmm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, let me just say the most obvious part of this, okay? He leads me. Can we say that in our mind a few hundred times? He, God, leads me. Me, the sheep. Me, the created human being. I have a dog. Just one dog. My daughter has four dogs. I have one dog. You know, sometimes I can call the dog and the dog will come. Sometimes. Sometimes, no. She smells something. I have no idea what it is. And she just, off she goes. I've never figured that out. Why the smell on this piece of dirt is so much different than the smell on this piece of dirt. But you know what? The dog gets distracted. The dog is not being led. We're talking about animals. We're not going to talk about the cat. Anyway, you don't lead cats at all. He leads me. He leads me, and we are to follow. We are to acknowledge the fact that God is the good shepherd, and we ought to follow him. Because if we don't, we won't be in the green pasture. We won't be by the still waters. We'll be out in West Texas. Just saying. Sometimes we, we're like my dog. We just smell something. I have no idea what it is. And we go chasing after who knows what? Have you ever done that spiritually? Don't raise your hand. Because if you don't raise your hand, you're lying to me. You just are. The shepherd, by right, leads the sheep. The shepherd has the best for the sheep in mind. He is looking for the green pastures. He's looking for the still water. He knows where those things are, and he is providing them, and we go chasing after something else. So just a quick observation. How does he lead us? I mean, you woke up this morning, and you sat up in bed, and you thought, I'm going to sit here in bed until God declares to me what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I want audible voice for heaven, from heaven, or I want handwriting on the wall. And when I get that, I will know where he wants me to go, and I will follow him. If you did that, the odds are you're not here because you're sitting at home on the side of your bed. Because God has told us what we're supposed to do. How does he do that? Through the word that he's given us. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. 
The comment was, and through the Holy Spirit, who illuminates the word to us. Now, I might add, we could have a whole long discussion about how God directs us and leads us. I mean, he does provide circumstances. He has other people advise us, tell us where we need to go, what we need to do, what we need to avoid. Don't go that way. It's bad. Go this way. It's good. God works through the circumstances of this world, but it is all illuminated in the Scripture. He leads me beside still waters. If I am a sheep, I need food and I need water. And he gives me the water. It is interesting, it says still waters. Sheep are rather, well, they're cowards. Okay, like my cat is a coward. You know, the, he wants to go out the door, you open the door, the door, moving door scares him and he runs off. Makes no sense at all. Sheep are easily scared. And if they are at a pool of water and the water is moving, they don't want anything to do with it because it's scary to them. What's causing it to move? What they need, well, I suppose if they were dying of thirst, they would drink whatever water they could get their hands on. Paws on. <laughs> feet on. Whatever. But what is best for their flourishing is still, still water. Water that is not scary to them. Water that is not terrifying. What do we need? We need... You're going to love this. We need calm water. We need time to meditate on the Word of God. We need time to do this. I was talking with one of my son-in-laws last night or yesterday, and he's working toward getting into the ministry. And he said, how do you prepare a lesson. And I walked through some of the different things that I did. He says, where do you do this? I said, well, I do it a lot of times in the bathroom. <laughs> I sit on the side of the tub and I have a little TV tray. Why? It's quiet in there. <laughs> and guess what? We need that. We need that quiet time to listen, to understand the scripture that God has given us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Green pastures, still waters, what does that do for us? It restores our soul. What are we chuckling about over here? I always am concerned when people start laughing at the wrong time of my lesson. <laughs> Why does he do this? Why does he provide the green pasture and the still water? Why does he, the shepherd, lead the sheep in this direction. It's like David steps back and says, okay, we've been talking about sheep. Let me tell you what he's really doing for you. You, not a sheep, you, 
me, David, a follower of God, what is he really doing? He's leading me in paths of righteousness. What does that mean? He's leading me to do that which is right. Now, we can have a long discussion. David did what was right, sometimes. And when he didn't do what was right, he eventually repented real well. Maybe we'll have a lesson on that psalm. Magnificent psalm of repentance. True, heartfelt repentance. But he acknowledged the fact that God, the good shepherd, was leading him into paths of righteousness. Righteousness means doing that which is right. The problem we have is that righteousness is defined by the righteousness of God, not by your neighbor, not by what you see on TV, not by what you see, read in some magazine. Righteousness is defined by God. And that's the path that God, the Good Shepherd, wants to lead you and me on. So you're sitting here, and I can go this way, and I can go that way, I can go that way, or I can go that way. And I read the scripture, and I know that that way is sin, and that way is sin, and that way is sin. These ways aren't sin. God, the good shepherd, is going to lead us toward righteousness. Just let me give you another hint. If you feel God is leading you to do something that violates his word, you're reading the wrong signals about what God wants you to do. I mean, I've told you in here before, you know, someday I wake up and I'm tired of being married and I, you know, want to go do something else and I go find my divorced friend and ask his advice. <laughs> no. Why? Because I am not seeking after righteousness. I'm my dog smelling something else and wanting to go a different direction. The shepherd is leading you down the path of righteousness. What's down the path of righteousness? Green pastures, still waters. That's what's down there. Now, this is fascinating. Why is God leading us down paths of righteousness? You know, I can come up with good answers for that. I think it is best for you as a human being. I think it is best for your eternal salvation. I think it is best for your human flourishing that you do things God's way. I believe that if I had an infinite amount of time, I could convince you of every command of God, why it's good for you to do that. But I don't have the time to do that. But why does this passage say he does it? He leads us down the path of righteousness for his name's sake. What the heck does that mean? We claim to be Christians followers of Christ. When I enter the public arena, I am portraying the name of Christ. 
And the question is, am I doing that well or am I doing that wrong? Am I being a follower of Christ in such a way that people go, hmm, that's what that means? Or I'm, am I being a follower and saying, that really stinks? I worked with a guy for years who would talk about the church that he would go to. And you know the church, it's not this one. And I really, honestly wanted to tell him, just stop talking about it. Because your life doesn't match the name that you're claiming. We go down paths of righteousness because it's good for us. We go down the paths of righteousness because it's good for our eternal salvation. But more than all of that, it brings glory to God. It brings glory to the shepherd when the sheep do what the shepherd wants them to do. It brings glory to God. Let me let you in on another little secret. You exist. I exist. We all exist to bring glory to God. That is the essence of worship. Now, we will leave here and we will go to the service and we will sing songs and those songs we'll call worship. And guess what? Those songs are worship. They are. We will listen to a sermon, then we will go home and we will kick the dog, yell at the cat, and <laughs> yell at our children. And guess what? Our worship stinks. Remember the Old Testament. God gave them these detailed instructions on how to give sacrifices that were acceptable to God. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. If this occurs, then you do that. I mean, it is tedious. But he gave them the instructions. But by the time he gets to the prophets, the prophets are saying, your sacrifices stink. Why do you even bother? Because you're not doing them as an act of worship. Everything we are to do should, ought to bring glory to God. That is why you were created. You weren't created to have the most fun you could in the short life you had here on the earth. You weren't created to do what you want to do. You were created to glorify God. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Let me let you in on another little secret. We're all old enough to know this. You ready for this? You're going to die. The Lord could come back tomorrow. I'm all in favor of that. But if he doesn't, or the day after, you're all going to die. That is not a shock. 
that is not a abnormality in the world as it is right now. We could call it an abnormality in the way the world was created, but we won't go there right now. You're going to die. We live our lives in the shadow of death. We do. Now, here's the question. How do we live our lives in the shadow of death? How do we do that? Are we, once again, seeking out our own way, our own things, our own stuff? Are we like my dog, just sniffing strange things all over the place? Or, or are we resting in the fact that even though we live in the shadow of the valley of death, we have the good shepherd who is going to take care of us. Imagine this. You're the sheep. We're the sheep. Let's assume for a moment, okay, that we're a little smarter than the average sheep, but that's probably an assumption that's not true, but let's pretend that we are. And the shepherd knows that there's a green pasture over there, and there's a really nice green pasture over there. And the shepherd leads the sheep through this dark valley. And you know what? Through this dark valley, there are things that you can't see. There are hidden things. There are dark places. There are things you don't understand. There's things you don't want to be around. And you begin to panic. Or you can acknowledge the fact that the shepherd, first off, knows where he's going. And secondly, and secondly, is able and willing to protect you from anything that will jump out of those dark places. The key to all of this psalm is we living in the green pasture, but there's an even greener pasture up ahead. What does it say at the very end? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We are going through the valley of the shadow of death to get to the ultimate green pasture. We are going through the valley of the shadow of death to get that, that which is greater than we can possibly imagine. The scripture gives us images to talk about what heaven is like, but they're just images because you and I can't comprehend how great it is. But to get there, he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the question. I trusted the shepherd when I'm laying down in the green field. I'm laying down because I've, I've eaten so much, I've had my fill, I'm just resting. I trusted him when I was beside the still water, the water that wasn't being stirred up by who knows what and scaring me. I trusted him then. But David is saying the good shepherd, the shepherd, is so strong and powerful that no matter where I'm going, what I'm going through, what may jump out of the scary places? 
the shepherd will take care of them. David, before he took on Goliath, said, yeah, there were some pretty tough animals that jumped out to get my sheep, and guess what? I killed them. I am capable of protecting the sheep. And David was just a human shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me from green pasture to greener pasture. But sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Now, this is interesting because what he's saying, well, what is he not saying? He's not saying that it's necessarily going to be the most pleasant path. What he is saying is that there's no evil that can overcome the goodness of the shepherd. The righteousness of the shepherd will win. Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God? He gives a long list. And the long list basically ends up by saying nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because we've got the good shepherd. We have the Lord guiding us through. There is no evil that will overcome us. There are evil things that may happen, but none of them will overcome us. Paul can sit in that prison and go, if I live, great, I can spread the gospel. If I die, great, I'm going to heaven. No evil was going to overcome him because he had trust in the shepherd. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So you're a shepherd, and you've got this big stick. Generally, the stick had some kind of curve on the end of it so he could grab a stray uh, sheep and pull it out of the, the hole or out of the water or whatever the sheep fell into. I don't know if this is true. I actually read one time that sheep are so stupid they will get in a ravine when it starts raining and they will sit there and drown because they don't know to get out. Are they really that? So the, the, the shepherd has this hook to pull them out. Come on, get out of there. But he also has that stick because if the wild dog comes, that wild dog is going to get a whack. Remember John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The false shepherds, John chapter 10, the false shepherds, when problems come, they just run off. I mean, let's face it. I mean, let's just think about it from David's perspective. I'm a young boy. I'm out tending these stupid sheep. And here comes a bear to get one of those sheep. And I'm sitting there doing the calculation in my head. One bear, maybe kill me, or the bear takes a sheep. Eh, I got lots of sheep. No! David goes after the bear. What sense does that make? It makes lots of sense from the perspective of God and what he does for us. The staff 
fights off the external enemies. It helps bring us out of dangerous places. And also sometimes it is used just to direct the sheep. You know, you give them a gentle tap on one side so they'll go. And if they don't go, maybe a little less gentle of a tap. But it's interesting what this says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever been going down some path in your life and you kind of got this whack up against the side of the head that says, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't have this emotion at this time. I shouldn't respond in this way. I shouldn't. Could that be God's staff just kind of tapping you, going, don't go that way? How does God lead us? Through the Word of God. We just talked about this. Through circumstances. Sometimes He just kind of whacks you up the side of the head. Gently. Maybe not so gently. Maybe whatever it takes to get you back onto the path. And what does David say? That brings me comfort. It brings me comfort knowing that God, the Good Shepherd, is going to protect me with his staff and that he will guide me with his staff. Now, back to the phrase a moment ago. He leads me beside still water. He leads me. If you don't like the fact that he's leading you, then you're not going to like the fact that he whacks you up the side of the head every once in a while to get you going down the right path. You're just not going to like it. But David loves it. Why? Because he knows he's a sheep. We keep thinking we're driving the boat. We do. I am a master of my own fate. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. Why would you anoint a sheep? You anoint a sheep to get all the bugs off, get all the critters off, to take care of all the things that will harm the sheep. In Scripture, repeatedly, the pouring of oil on the head is a picture of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. God gives us the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can be that rod, that staff. He can be the one that leads us in paths of righteousness. He can help us flourish in the world that he's given to us and to guide us on how to bring glory to God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. First observation, this is not my goodness and it's not my mercy. It's God's goodness and his mercy. It's his goodness and his mercy that I need in order to flourish as a human being. If the shepherd is not interested in the sheep, the sheep are doomed. John chapter 10. The hired help will not do what is necessary to save the sheep. God, Christ, is the good shepherd. He will do whatever it takes. What does it take? Well, since I'm a stupid sheep, it takes mercy. 
all the time. Sometimes we think about mercy as something that we have to have to be saved. I was a sinner. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I pray for God's mercy. God's mercy saves me. I'm off the hook. I'm on my way to heaven. Life is good. Guess what? You need mercy every day. Why? Because yesterday you were a grouch. Not all of you, but some of you were. Yesterday, some of you sinned. Yesterday, some of you did that which did not bring glory to God and his name. Every day, we as believers stand in need of God's goodness and mercy. And the promise is, if he is our shepherd, that mercy will follow us forever. All the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a picture of heaven. It is a picture of the green pasture for which there is no valley of the shadow of death, for which there are no wolves and bears that are going to attack me, for which we as believers are walking. The question is simply this. Can we like David, acknowledge that God is the shepherd and we're the stupid sheep. Now, I might add, you are not called to be stupid. You are called to be wise. You are called to demonstrate wisdom in how you walk in life. But where does that wisdom come from? It comes from God. Relatively speaking, the distance between God and you is greater than you can imagine. And when you and I wake up tomorrow and think, you know, I'm pretty hot stuff. I did a really good job yesterday. Man, I think I am in charge. Remember, at the end of the day, you're a stupid sheep in need of a perfect shepherd. And the wonderful thing is, we can trust that shepherd from the beginning of life to the end of life. That's the promise that we have. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the shepherd. Thank you that you direct our paths. I pray, Lord, that we would not wander off. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.